This is a Discovery Church podcast. Every heart found in Jesus' story. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we pray that this message brings you deep encouragement. If you would like to get involved in the life of our church, head over to discoverychurch.com.au or check out our social media or YouTube channel. Alrighty, morning. Whoa, it's loud this morning. Sorry, guys. First jobs. Let's talk about first jobs. We talked about first jobs in our office this week. What Can you think about what your first job was? Anybody have the same first job as me? Maccas, where are the Maccas people? 14 and nine months, there I was up at Bexley McDonald's in New South Wales in in Sydney there. Um, Look, I didn't love it, guys. I'm not gonna lie, but there is one principle that has stayed with me since my McDonald's days. It is this C-A-Y-G. Does anybody know what it stands for? Does anybody work at Macca's right now? Clean as you go. And I have embedded this principle into my life and I am trying to embed it into my children fairly unsuccessfully, but clean as you go. That's about all I remember from my days at Macca's. No, I worked in the drive-thru. It was pretty good except for the times when the, the um, teenage boys would come through with those little pointer lights just to be annoying and just point them all over your face while they were ordering. Did, did, anybody, did anyone ever work in a drive-thru? And ha- you're all looking at me blankly. Did this never happen to anybody else? Anyway, in our area, the teenage boys used to take great delight in coming through the drive-thru and then just pointing bright lights all over your face while, they were, while you were trying to serve them politely and nicely and just do your job. Anyway, I moved on from McDonald's. What other jobs did I have? We had some interesting ones in our office this week. Um, Oh, I've told you I worked at Esprit. I did a stint in a surf shop. I was a dental assistant for some time. What else have I done? I've worked with children with disabilities um, in after-school care. Um, What else have I done? What's on my list of things? Oh, um, I've worked as a support worker for a young women's refuge. And this was all on my journey to my first full-time job, which uh, at university I studied social work. And I was a social worker for about 10 years before uh, I stepped out of that into full-time ministry. And um, my role as a social worker, I worked in a hospital, big teaching hospital up in Sydney in the oncology area. Uh, So uh, oncology, another word for cancer. So I worked with patients for a long time who were really unwell at all stages of um, of their illness. And one of the things about being a social worker, um, that I really loved. One of the things that underpins social work theory is this idea of systems theory, that as people, we are not just, um, we, we don't experience our world just in the isolated, compartmentalised parts of our lives, but actually all of the parts of our lives are interconnected. So my physical health, my spiritual health, my mental health, my finances, my family, relationships, how I'm connected in community, uh, all of those things are interconnected and impact the other things. And so what would happen is uh, my patients would present to hospital because something had broken down in their physical health and they were not well. And that would be the thing that would bring them to hospital. But it didn't take long to realise that when one part, when there's a breakdown in one part of your life, it quickly starts to affect all the other parts of your life as well, especially if you're unwell over a long period of time. 
But I love that holistic approach and it reminds me a lot about who God is because I don't know if you know this, but God is interested in every area of your life. He is intimately interested and cares about your well-being. Now, if you've been a Christian for some time, that might sound like, well, of course, this is the basics, but who knows, sometimes it's good to remember the basics. And maybe you're in church for the first time or just exploring faith. And if that's you, I want you to hear this today. God is interested in you. He's interested in your whole life, not just your spiritual life, not just the two hours that you spend here on a Sunday morning or the times when you call out to Him and cry out to Him and pray, but He is interested in your entire life. Every single thing that's going on for you right now, God knows about it and He cares about it. Amen? That's it. That's my whole message. No. <laughs> it's, that's good enough though. That's actually a good word. Uh, but I tell you what, I'll tell you why he's interested in your whole life. He's interested in your whole life for three quick reasons. The first is this, you're his creation. You've been fearfully and wonderfully made. You've been knit together, intricately woven. He knew you were before you were born. He's interested in you because not only are you his creation, but you're his masterpiece and he has good plans for your life. Really good plans for your life. And he's also interested in if, if those two reasons weren't enough because you're part of his family. You've been invited into the family, adopted as sons and daughters, and not just that, but heirs. And so I want you to keep that in mind as we get into today's message because today's message and this whole series, I am, as Matt said, it's all about getting to know God better. An invitation to get to know who God is by looking at the way He chooses to reveal Himself to us in Scripture. And today we're talking about Jehovah Rapha, the Lord is my healer. So we've looked at Jehovah Jireh, the Lord is my provider. We looked at Jehovah Nissi last week, the Lord is my banner or the Lord is my standard, the Lord is my label. But today we're looking at Jehovah Rapha. Now this word Rapha, Hebrew word, just real quick. Hebrew word that means to heal, to repair, to restore. So when we, it actually comes up 60 times in the Old Testament, that word Rapha, in different contexts. But when we put it with Jehovah Rapha, it means I am the Lord who heals, or I am the Lord your healer, or I am the Lord who restores broken things. I am the Lord who restores broken things. So I want you to hold that in your mind this morning. Now, we've been talking about the law of first mention. Whenever you come to Scripture, super important and really easy principle to apply to all of your Bible reading is when you're looking at a theme or a topic to go for the law of first mention. Where does this thing first show up in Scripture? So where does Jehovah Rapha first show up in Scripture? And that's where we're gonna anchor ourselves today and we're gonna go from there. But the thing about God is whenever He reveals Himself to people, He does it in the language, the concepts and the cultural contexts of the people that He's speaking to. So in Scripture, people, place and time is really important because we start there and then we start, and then as we look at what it was in the original context, then we can start to look at what does it mean for us today. So where we're picking up the story, we're in Exodus. This is what's just happened. The Israelites have just come through the Red Sea, the miracle of the Red Sea. Moses has led them out of Egypt where they have been 
in oppression and slavery. And they've come, they've had this miracle moment where the Red Sea has been parted. God has showed up. The Red Sea parts, the people come through the other side. That's Exodus 14. Then Exodus 15 starts with this song of deliverance. I wanna read it to you because you know when there's a miracle, something good happens and you are just blown out by how good God is and the only response the people of God that, that would come out of them was worship. So they wrote a worship song. So they come through the Red Sea, they watch the Lord do a miracle and then they write a worship song and they start praising God. And this is what they say. It says, I'm just, this, is, this goes on for 21 verses. I'm just gonna read you the first three. It's a long song. But, the, but it's like basically like any song, the first like few lines is what the entire song's about. You just say it in lots of different ways, right? So this is what it says. It says, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise Him. My Father's God and I will exalt Him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is His name. And it goes on and on saying the same thing lots of different ways for the next 17 verses. But this story, and then, and then, and then from this worship song is the story that we're gonna anchor ourselves in today where the Lord is going to reveal Himself as their healer. But this sits, just so you know, so um, hang on, which is, okay, yeah, so Red Sea, and then what Matt shared about last week, so Exodus 15, Exodus Oh, Exodus 14, Exodus 17, we're in Exodus 15. In between the two. So we've jumped back chronologically, but it, it actually doesn't matter in terms of what we're talking about today, just so you know where we are. So here's the story. They've come out of the Red Sea, they've sung their worship song. Here we go, I'm just gonna read the last verse of the worship song for you and then into our passage. Sing to the Lord, for He has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They travelled in this desert for three days without finding any water. And when they came to the oasis at Marah, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Marah, which means bitter. Then the people complained and they turned against Moses. What are we going to drink, they demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Moses threw it into the water and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to Him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in His sight, obeying His commands and keeping all His decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And after leaving Marah, the Israelites travelled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. Okay, so one minute, they're up and they're praising God because the miracle at the Red Sea has happened and life could not get any better. They are on a spiritual high. Who knows what that feeling is like when you see the Lord do something good, you witness Him do something good in your life and you're like, God is the best. God, you're awesome. Thank you, Jesus. Do you know, do you know what that feels like? Yeah. 
spiritual high. Maybe you've been on a camp. If you're a young person, you know what Saturday night feels like at camp and you come home from camp and you're like, oh, school, just wait for me. I'm coming for you. And then what happens? Monday happens. And how quickly the shine of the miracle wears off. Three days later, it's been three days since the Red Sea. They've been walking, they're on a journey in the desert. They're tired, they're hungry, they're thirsty. They finally get to an oasis of water and then realise they can't drink the water because it's dirty and it's bitter. They're so irritable right now, they're hangry. It's the, it's the definition of hangry when you're just like, you finally make it to this oasis after three days and discover that the water is undrinkable and their worship has turned to whinging. Didn't take long, just three days. Three days ago, they'd written this incredible worship song and they were on top of the world, testifying to the goodness of God and the miracle that He had done. And just three days later, they are whinging and grumbling and complaining. How many people know it's easy to praise God when things are going well? It's true, when things are going well, we wanna tell everyone about it. That's what's happening um, right here. But the minute the Israelites encounter some obstacles and things get challenging, their worship turns to whinging and they're whinging and they're complaining and they turn to Moses for some answers. They're like, Moses, you got us into this mess. Let's talk about spiritual amnesia. Sometimes we have good forgetteries. That's the glass half full way of saying bad memory. But we have good forgetteries, don't we? We forget really quickly the good things that God does for us sometimes and we forget about His goodness and we forget about His faithfulness and we forget the stories of where He showed up and where He's provided and where He's healed and where He's restored and where He's won a victory for us. It's what it's like for the people of God in this story. It's like they've got amnesia. They've completely forgotten what's just happened at the Red Sea, the way that God made a way for them to escape the chains of Egypt. You know, life in Egypt for them was really brutal. They were severely oppressed, like they were really suffering, really, really suffering. And it's as though, even though they're no longer in Egypt, Egypt is still in them. And they've come out of Egypt and they're three days out and they're at this oasis in Mara, but there's something about Egypt that is clinging on to them. Even though they're free physically and they're no longer in chains, they're no longer under the oppression of the Egyptian slave drivers. It's like the dust and the grime of the hardship of that season is clinging on and they're struggling to break free in their hearts. Now, And it's as though they're still enslaved in the bitterness of that season. And on this side of the story, for us, when we come to Scripture, we have the benefit of a few thousand years, a bit of perspective to look at it. And it can be easy for us to look at it and think, oh, bless, oh, Israelites, here they go again. People of God, round and round they go. One minute they're up and then they're down and then they're up and then they're down. When are they gonna get it together and just learn to trust God? You know, because we have the whole story in front of us. But you know what? Sometimes Scripture acts like a mirror. 
doesn't it? And um, you know, we're not so different from them. At least I know I'm not so different. Maybe you figured this out by now, but certainly I know that I'm not so different because I know that there are times when I encounter challenges, whether they're health challenges, whether it's relationship challenges, family challenges, whatever it might be, challenges at work, challenges in, in our finances, whatever it might be, sometimes our worship fades and we struggle to trust that God is still actually good. Um, and you know what, when things aren't going well, there's something inside of us that just wants someone to blame or something to blame for our suffering and for our hardship. I don't know why, why that is, it's part of our humanity. When things aren't going well, we just want some, we want it to be some, we wanna be able to be like, Moses, you got us into this mess, it's your fault, it's your fault. Fix it, somebody fix it. And sometimes what happens is we blame others or we blame God and sometimes we allow some bitterness to settle and to fester and in our lives. It might be the situation that you're in right now, it might be the, just the difficulty of past seasons or unmet expectations, but sometimes we allow those things to fester and you know what, church this morning, I'm not saying that um, seasons of hardship and suffering and sickness and challenge aren't difficult, because they are, they're really, really difficult. And I know that many people who are here today are walking through some tough seasons right in every area of your life. Um, and there are seasons and those times are frustrating and sometimes it can feel like God has deserted you or led you to an oasis only to find that the water there is bitter and you can't drink it. And that was what was happening for the people of God. But would God be so cruel to lead them out of Egypt to a place where they're finally free, but then leave them to die because they can't drink the water? Is that the kind of God that we serve? And so the setup of this story is important. All of the details in this story are there on purpose to lead us towards this grand reveal. Because it feels like a sick joke, right? Like they've had this incredible moment where like God's gone to all the trouble to deliver them out of Egypt, only just to leave them in the desert to die. How could this be the end of the story? But of course, it's not the end of the story, but I want you to hold all the imagery because right now, as God's about to reveal Himself as their healer for the very first time, the imagery that we have here is the picture of Egypt. It represents their past. It represents the season where they were, where they were enslaved. It represents oppression. For us today, it represents our old life. Then we have the imagery of the Red Sea, which represents God's deliverance the way that God has saved them and provided a way out for them. And it's this picture for us, this is a picture of our salvation. The Red Sea in, in Scripture is a symbol of our salvation. So we've got the past and then we've got this picture of deliverance and then we've got the desert. This is the journey. They're on the journey of what it means to follow God. And this is like our journey of discipleship. When you decide to become a Christian, you go on a journey of discipleship, a journey of getting to know God. And then we have this picture of Mara, this, this bitter water. Uh, it's a bit of a twofold um, picture here of what was happening in their hearts, what God was doing with the bitterness in their hearts, but also about what happens when we come up against adversity and challenge. And now 
God is about to reveal Himself to them as their healer. It says this, it says, and the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna drink? They demanded and Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. The Lord showed him a piece of wood and Moses threw it in. I just want you to note that detail. The Lord showed him a piece of wood and Moses threw it in. He threw it into the water and this made the water good to drink. And it was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness. And He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, obeying His commands and keeping all His decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases that I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. This is crazy. So this is another miracle right in front of their eyes. There's, the water's bitter, they can't drink it. And the Lord says to Moses, see that piece of wood on the ground. Moses sees the wood, picks up the wood, throws it in the water, and now they can, it, it purifies the water and makes it drinkable, right in front of their eyes. Can't drink the water, can drink the water. That's crazy for a start. So they have a miracle and then the Lord issues them a decree, talks to them about their obedience and their faithfulness to Him, about following Him, about their devotion. And then there's a promise, if you do that, I won't bring on you the plagues and the diseases that I brought on the Egyptians. It's a bit weird because what has, why is God talking about the plagues? What's bitter water that's just been purified got to do with plagues in Egypt? As I was reading this this week, I was thinking, this is just, I'm just trying to connect the dots here, God. Like, what are you actually trying to say? Here's the thing. Up until this point, the reason that God addresses and refers to the plagues here is because up until this point, they had, the people had been relying on all kinds of other gods and deities for their healing. In Egyptian idolatry and in Egyptian art and iconography, lots of the things that God used in the plagues were depicted as Egyptian gods. And so you might remember some of these plagues, but each plague exposed the false gods of the Egyptians and showed God's power and authority over them. And so when God's saying this to them, He's saying, remember those plagues in Egypt and how I absolutely trumped everything? Remember that time? When, it, when everything got wiped out and I showed that I am the one true God? Do you remember the plagues? He turned the, um, the water in the River Nile into blood. So the Egyptians had a God that they worshipped who was the God of the Nile and his name was Happy or Happy, H-A-P-I. I don't know how you say that properly, Happy. He was the God of the Nile. And when God turned the water into blood, it was him saying, hey, I have authority even over this. Do you see, God was saying, your gods cannot save you. They can't heal you. Because they were relying on these, all of these different gods for their crops, for their good fortune, for their health, for their fertility. Some of the other plagues you might remember, the frogs. The frogs, when the frogs came, the fields all died. Do you know in Egyptian idolatry, the frog was the symbol for fertility. 
It was meant to be the thing that brought them life. But God sent a plague of frogs and everything died. Again, exposing their false gods and saying, hey, I trump all of these. I'm greater, I'm sovereign, I'm, su- I'm supreme above all of these gods, all of these idols that you've been worshipping. The gnats came and infested the land and the animals. The flies came and the whole land was in chaos, the Scripture says. The, live, the plague of the livestock, every living animal died. This is their food and their farming. The boils This came on humans and animals and they all became sick and infested with sores. Then there was the hail, which impacted their land, their environment. It just was completely destroyed, all of the landscape around them. Then the locusts came, again, they had no food. Then the darkness. Do you know when the the Bible talks about the plague of darkness, it says the darkness was so thick you could feel it. You know, this idea of this darkness, this isolation, it's a symbol of isolation, of being disconnected from one another. You could not see another person, it was so dark. Plague of darkness and then finally, the killing of the firstborn. Representing family and generations and the Lord came in and declared him, exposed all of their false gods and declared himself as all powerful. And so when he reveals himself, to the Israelites as their healer, he's reminding them that he is intimately involved in every aspect of their well-being. That he's not just their deliverer and provider, but also their healer. Not just their physical well-being and health, but you know, when the plagues came upon the Egyptians, it, the cause, the effect that it brought was destruction in every area of their lives and their livelihood. But God comes to them in this moment and He refers to this on purpose because He wants them to know that He is the one true healer and restorer of everything. I am the Lord who heals and restores that which is broken in your life, in your body, in your heart, in your spirit, in your soul, in your family, in your workplace, in your school, in your finances and so on, and so on, and so on. So there's an invitation for us to know God as our one true healer and trust Him with every area of our lives. So a couple of observations and invitations. The first is this, God showed Moses the wood, which was the source of the miracle, but Moses had to throw it into the water. So here's my invitation to you. How is God inviting us to trust Him and to partner with Him in our healing and restoration? Do you know that God invites you to partner with Him in your healing and your restoration? Sometimes it might be through prayer. Sometimes it might be through action. If you are physically or mentally unwell, we absolutely, as a church, we absolutely believe in the power of prayer, that God is a healer and can heal you. We believe in miraculous healings. And we also believe that God gifts and empowers individuals in the medical profession to use their gifts and their knowledge and their wisdom and their understanding to contribute to our healing. And so we 100% encourage you to be a person who prays for healing and a person who seeks professional medical help. The reason that I wanna say that is because 
We have a role to play in taking responsibility for our healing and restoration as much as we rely on God for that as well. Do you know, um, 18 months ago now, you might remember if you were around um, at that time, but Matt had a, a water skiing accident and he tore all of the tendons off his pelvic bone and they were down here in his leg. Now, Matt didn't come home that day and sit on the couch and just pray that God would miraculously reattach the tendons and do nothing else. Did we pray that God would heal him? Yes. Did he also go to the hospital and advocate actually for surgery because usually with that kind of injury, they just wanna let it kind of fix itself, which is not so good. But we prayed and the Lord provided a pathway for him to have surgery that most people don't get to have. Not only that, the Lord provided a surgeon who only usually does the surgery on elite athletes to do the surgery for him. And then the doctor gave him a whole list of things that he needed to do as part of his recovery. So did he get in the gym every day and do the exercises? Yep, even when he didn't want to, even when it was really painful, he did it because that's part of partnering with God in your healing. So we saw God do miracle after miracle in that whole process for Matt. And do you know what the doctors have said to him in his recovery now, 18 months? It's like this injury never happened, right? But sometimes there's a role to play. So if your doctor says to you, you know what, you need to lose a little bit of weight. We don't rub the genie lamp and say, God, can you just take 20 kilos off me by tomorrow? No, we have to actually get up and do the work and partner with God in what He's doing. So both, both, it's both. Do we see Scripture full of miraculous healings where God just heals somebody without them actually having to do anything? Yeah, we do see that sometimes and we continue to pray for it. But even stories like the woman with the issue of blood in Mark chapter four, you know, she had to, the courage, the courage to come out of her isolation, to come into the middle of a public place and a busy crowd, to just touch the hem of His garment. And the Lord says, your faith has healed you. So sometimes we have to respond. Maybe the Lord's inviting you to actually bring something in your life to Him for the first time that you've never actually offered up to Him and invited Him into to restore it. And He's just inviting you to pray about it. But there also might be an actual active response that He's inviting you to partner with. So God showed Moses the wood, but Moses threw it into the water. Second observation is this. The wood, the source of the miracle, was native to the area. Do you know that this wood, the, the, the um, commentators have been able to identify this wood as the Elifra tree? And in its bark and in its seeds, it has healing properties, purifying properties that when it's thrown into water, it makes the water transparent and able to be drunk, drink, drank. Anyway, once the wood goes into the water, it purifies the water so you can drink it. Do you remember last week when Matt was talking about the shepherd's staff? That was an everyday implement like your car keys or your phone. If we see God do this again, this was what was available to them. It was familiar to them. This plant, this tree was familiar to Moses. So when God said, see that piece of wood, Moses would have gone, of course, I know what this wood does. If I put it in the water, it will purify the water. God used something native to the area as their miracle. What are or who are 
the native miracles and solutions that are right in front of you in your life right now. Sometimes God puts the solution or the miracle right in front of you, but we go everywhere else looking for our healing, looking for the answers. And God's like, it's right here in front of you. See that piece of wood? Oh, that's right. My friend, this person next to me who can actually help me with this problem I'm having. Hey, could you help me? What is native? What is native and right in front of you? What are who are the native solutions and miracles that are right in front of you that could help restore what's broken or what needs mending in your life? You know, there's a couple of other examples in Scripture of this. Remember David in his sling? They all wanted him to wear Saul's armour. He's like, I can't work with this. What I know is my sling and my stones. And he used what was native to him. Five loaves and two fishes. You know that story, the feeding of the 5,000? What, what they had, this is what he had. That's what he had, was five loaves and two fishes. What do you have? What are your five loaves and two fishes? And in the hands of God, they're a miracle. And they are your healing and they are your restoration. It's all part of it. So what are your five loaves and two fishes that you can offer? Third observation is this. And then we're just gonna, a um, couple of final thoughts. There are seasons in life where God will test our obedience and devotion to Him. When God gave them this decree, He said it was a test, a test of their obedience, a test of their ability to listen to Him and to follow where He was leading them. So so an invitation, am I living life God's way or my own way? Have I given God access to every area of my heart and life and fully surrendered to Him? Is my devotion directed towards God or towards other things? Just a couple of final thoughts. Um, As I was praying about this this week, when we come to the, specifically to the topic of physical healing, this is a hard topic because what do we do when we don't get healed? I don't know if that's the elephant in the room question, but what happens when when we don't get healed? And I just wanted to just to share, not an answer with you, but but some lessons from the journey. You might have heard me share about this before, but about 16 months ago, uh, we lost a very dear friend uh, to us. She um, was diagnosed with a really aggressive form of cancer uh, at 38, and she died 18 months later. Um, She had three three girls, uh, 14, four and two. And um, she was fully believing for her healing. Never have I met somebody with more faith than my friend Karen. She had more faith than anyone I've ever seen. And the way she journeyed that season was quite remarkable. And she was believing for her healing. And we were all praying for her and believing for her healing as well. But she didn't get healed. She died. So what do we do with that? I don't know if you've had a a situation in your life that's maybe like that or similar to that, but how how do we reconcile that when it doesn't make sense? Something I've been learning along the journey is there are just some things this side of heaven that we don't have answers to. And so we have to learn how to reconcile them until we get to be face to face with Jesus and we can ask what was his plan in all of that. But um, there's a scripture in Ecclesiastes that's brought me a lot of comfort over the, the past few years. And it's Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says this, "'For God has made everything beautiful for its time.'" 
He's planted eternity in the human heart, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. So we can't always see the whole scope of what God's doing. But there is an invitation for us to trust in the bigger story. We talk about the bigger story all the time. It might not make sense right now, but you know, Karen's healing was actually that she passed into eternity with Jesus. And I'm learning that sometimes healing doesn't look the way that maybe I think it looks with my temporal lens. Sometimes we have to see our healing and our restoration with an eternal lens. Might not make sense earth side, but can we hold the tension of it and trust that God is still good even when it doesn't make sense, even when it feels unfair? and even when it, you wished that the outcome was different. That's really hard, but we, I'm learning that sometimes we need to be able to hold that tension and know that God is still good in the meantime. So I hope that's okay to say that and just to leave it there. Um, and the band, you guys can come and join me, but this story, how does this story end? This story ends with another bit beautiful piece of imagery. Scripture says, after leaving Mara, the Israelites travelled on to the oasis of Elim, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. So what began with bitterness in Mara closes with sweetness in Elim. Do you know 12 and 70, super significant numbers in Scripture? What do you think of when you think of 12? 12 disciples, even back before that, the 12 tribes 12 sons of Jacob, which were the 12 tribes. This idea of 12 is God's way of saying all of my people. It's a number of authority, of perfection, of completion, all of my people. And then 70 is a symbol of victory. Jesus sent the disciples out. Do you remember this story? Jesus sent out the 70 two by two. There were 70 members of Jacob's family that settled in Egypt in the first place. This is God's way of saying, I haven't forgotten you. Everybody who I led in is on the journey and is being restored and is coming out the other side of the challenge. There's 12 and there's 70. 12 springs, 70 palm trees. You know, they're date palms full of the most luscious fruit. This picture of God's abundant shade, the sweetness of His provision, sustenance. So this picture for them is a picture of restoration and it's a foreshadowing of who was to come. Jehovah Rapha in the flesh, Jesus, who went from town to town as the great physician, healing every single kind of sickness and disease and who comes as our ultimate healer as well. So this picture for them as they came to Mara, was like this reminder, God hasn't forgotten us. In fact, He is our provider. He is our victory and He is our ultimate healer. Why don't you stand with me? I wanna invite you today, the Lord who restores broken things. I've got so many broken things in my life, guys, so many. So if you don't have any, you're lying. (laughs) I've got enough for all of us. No, seriously though, the Lord who restores broken things. I just know that this morning, 
that the Lord wants to meet you and reveal, you, reveal Himself to you as your healer. So I'm just gonna pray a really simple prayer and invite you as I pray, just to offer up whatever it is that's broken right now. Whatever it is in your life that needs repairing, that needs healing, that needs restoring. And I'm just confident that the Lord wants to reveal Himself in that way to you and to bring you hope for the future. So Father, I just thank You for how You chose to reveal Yourself as our healer and how You're choosing to do it again today. God, we just confess of the times when we've looked for our healing and our restoration in all the wrong places, but thank You for Your grace that You invite us back again and again just to sit at Your feet and see You for who You really are. Our one true healer, our one true restorer, that in Jesus, our ultimate restoration is found. And God, we just choose to trust You right now with the things that don't make sense in our lives, the things that are broken or the, thing, the grief that we carry. But God, we just choose to believe that You are still good, that You are who You say You are. And so I pray, come, just release Your healing over our lives, over our hearts, over our households, over families, over marriages over relationships, God, over bodies that are sick this morning, over bones and ligaments that are out of alignment. I pray physical healing be released in this room in Jesus' Name. God, anything out of alignment in our lives, we bring it to You, the great physician, and say, have Your way. We trust You, we honour You and we worship You. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Discovery Church Podcast. It is our mission that every heart is found in Jesus' story. If you were moved by this episode, please take 30 seconds to share it on your social media. It only takes a couple of seconds to create life-changing impact.